John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 27. This has been our foundational verse for this study. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So Jesus has called us his sheep, and that means that he's our shepherd. And I love the chorus that we sang, that the Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want. As we continue our study on how God speaks to us, I want to once again remind you that to become aware of something is one of the most wonderful things that happens in our life. We become enlightened that something is happening or that it actually exists. This enlightenment could be situational, outward, inward, seen, or unseen. And when God opens our eyes and opens our understanding, uh, we begin to see life through a different lens. And I'm so thankful that through the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that he is at work both to will and to do of his good pleasure in our life. And he shows us things when we need to see them. If he showed us everything in a moment of time, I think we would just run and hide. And But he shows us the things that we need to know for where we are so we can know the next step to where we need to go. And if that's your prayer is, Lord, lead me and guide me and show me which path to take, then when it comes to that fork in the road, you're going to know which way to go. And just keep praying those prayers of consecration and dedication. So in studying how God speaks to mankind, the Bible and prayer are fundamentally accepted as a foundation of this truth. And I, I like, I'll quote uh, the verse in Matthew 25, 34, Jesus making a declaration that heaven and earth would pass away, but God's word would never pass away. And he was he was telling people uh, this truth in light of uh, preaching and ministering on the end of the age and the signs of the times. And he's saying, even though all of these things are going to be happening in the world, and even though heaven and earth may pass away and there's going to be a new heaven and, and a new earth, one thing that you can bank on day in and day out is God's word will never pass away. And I believe that the longer that any of us walk with the Lord, the more we understand he's always right. And... We may have our disputes and doubts and sometimes even even discuss uh, our point of view with him when we're younger in the faith. But a- after a while, you're just like, no, God's always right. The Bible's always right. The Bible's always true. And I've learned that throughout the, the ages. I want to give you one quick illustration of that is that through the COVID season, one thing I became aware of that I always believed, but I really didn't know how it would happen And maybe you can identify with this example. I I always knew that at some point in time in history that all the nations of the world would align themselves and become not the allies but the enemies of the nation of Israel. And that through and in that season there would be a man that's known as the Antichrist or the lawless one one that would be would be identified and then he would come in and he would defile everything that's sacred and that he would rule and govern the nations of the world. And I, I, we've, we've heard about, you know, uh, uh, a one world system as far as monetarily or we think about one man governing all of the nations of the world. And I always, I always believe that narrative, but I always, I was was like, how can that happen? How can one man rise to such prominence and power and, and that he would rule over all the nations of the world? And then COVID came and a virus took over the world. And I thought if a virus can hold the whole world in hostage, then one man can. And 
it, it brought an enlightenment and an awareness to me that, all right, Doug, never question that again. Never doubt that again. Never talk to the Lord about that again. Because COVID wasn't just something that impacted our nation. It impacted all the nations of the world. And it was, to a degree, sort of a conditioner for what is to come. Because if we can get people to just follow instruction without using their mind and without following the the instruction of the word of God and get them away from faith, then we can control and manipulate and maneuver most anything in their life, including how they spend their money or what they take or what they don't take. And so it's important that we all remember that God gave us a good, healthy mind and he wants us to use it. There is something uh, to having common sense. And there is something to proving something out to see if it's in line with scripture and in keeping with the ways of faith. So that's just a simple illustration that God's word is always reliable. It's always true. It's always trustworthy. So today we're going to talk about hearing the still small voice of God. And if you would turn back with me into the Old Testament to the book of First Kings, we are about to read uh, in the 19th chapter, the 11th through the 13th verses, about a season in Elijah's life where he, he is, uh, he's just experienced a, a great victory. And, uh, but, he is now exhausted. And when, when we're exhausted, you know, after you have this, this fantastic victory, he just uh, defeated 450 uh, false prophets on Mount Carmel. And, and God showed up in a very profound and powerful way. And, and, and through all of this, he, he is now weary. He's now tired. And Jezebel threatens to, uh, to come and to end his life. And, and, uh, and so he begins to to run and uh because he wasn't processing or he wasn't thinking well and when we're when we're exhausted we're just not ourselves we're not we're not as sharp as we'd like to be and we don't make really good decisions uh we're very subjective at that moment and that's where elijah was and and i i i i empathize with him uh you, you would think that after this great victory that there wouldn't there, no one would ever threaten him no one would come against him, that, that even Jezebel herself would realize that there's no God like God Almighty. And yet, and yet, you know, that wasn't the case, which says that when we're exhausted and when we're tired, the enemy is an opportunist, and that's when he wants to come, and he wants to strike fear in our heart. So that's what happened to the servant of the Lord. And, and as he was running, uh, he found a place to lay down, and he, it, it was, he was just... Uh, totally spent and the Lord sent an angel and resuscitated him, gave him something to eat, gave him something to drink and told him, you just rest here. And then he rose up for 40 days and then he went where the Lord told him to go to go to the mountain of God, go to Mount Horeb. And here he is now. Uh, and he's, he's uh, uh, once again tired and the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, rest. And, and so he rests and now God comes to him in verse 11. Then he said, go out. And stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still small voice. 
And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then the, the Lord gave him some further instruction on, I need you to go and anoint these two men as king and I need you to, to go to this place and do this for me. So I, I want to say that, that God can speak uh, through a whirlwind. He spoke to Job in a whirlwind uh, and, or through the wind, through a strong wind. And uh, some translations say this was like a straight line wind or a tornado that, that I mean, there's just no mistaking that when God shows up in that kind of power and, and that kind of authority that it would, it would shake us. And he did that in the life of Job. But he didn't choose to reveal or to talk to Elijah in this way. It's also interesting that God has shown up through earthquakes and uh, scripture documents times where the Lord came and the earth shook. And and the Lord spoke to people. And this, a great example of that is when Moses was on Mount Sinai and the Lord came down on the mountain and there was a great earthquake in the camp because the people heard the voice of God talking to Moses. So uh, whirlwinds, earthquakes, and then there's fire. God has talked to people in the fire, through the fire, by fire. But this wasn't the way that God specifically was going to talk to Elijah. So my point in this is, don't get so comfortable in the way that God has always talked to you that you forget he can talk to you in new ways. There, there, there has to be this, well, God, if you, if you just give me some sign or there's some outward evidence, you know, a strong wind, an earthquake, fire, you know, something, then I'll know it's you. And in this situation, Elijah had experienced these kinds of demonstrations of God, but God wanted to reveal something new to him, something more personal, something more intimate. And so uh, because if we become so comfortable and so complacent in the way that God has always talked to us, we may not recognize when he's speaking to us again. So the Lord says, hey, just come out to the cave. And he said he passed by. And then all of the things that we would attribute to God passing by happened but God wasn't speaking through any of those things. And then he began to speak to his servant in a still, small voice. Some have identified this as like the inner witness, where Paul said, God's spirit bears witness with our spirit, that God's spirit bears witness with ours. So this still, small voice is one of the ways that God still speaks to his people because he lives in us by his spirit. Go to the book of Acts, and I think this is another great example of the still small voice and how God uses the still small voice to give us instruction and guidance and also encouragement for others. This is Paul. He's on his way to Rome. He's boarded the ship. He's one of the prisoners, and uh, he perceives something down in his spirit. But in verse 9, it says, When much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised him. Uh, it's to our betterment that we slow down when we're reading the word of God. In verse 9, when much time had been spent. Have you ever wasted time? Uh, just you'd been given something to do and the next thing you know time 
slipped away or got away or went somewhere. You don't know where it went, but now you're hustling, you're bustling to try to get something, you know, uh, down the road. And this is what happened. There was a window in the Mediterranean during the fall where ships could travel from one port to another in safety. And now Paul's saying, you know, you guys have fiddle around and goofed off and, and, and maybe been bar hopping and, and, uh, out, you know, with the ladies and out, you know, just on the town. And, and now time has slipped away and we got a short window to get to a, uh, the next port. And he said, I, I'm, I'm perceiving, I perceive that this isn't going to be good. And that's exactly what he says to him in verse 10, saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only to the cargo and ship, but also to our lives. And this is the inward witness. This is, this is Paul perceiving. This is how he, he identifies like down in my heart, down in my spirit, down where God speaks to me. While well, you guys have been fooling around and goofing off and wasting time. I've had plenty of time to just sort of wait while you take us from one place to the other before I'm brought before Caesar and Rome to be tried for my faith. And so he's just confident enough. He has enough assurance, enough awareness that he talks to the the captain of the ship and states what he believes is going to happen. In verse 11, nonetheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. The majority isn't always right. If by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor in Crete, opening towards the southwest and the northwest, and they could at least winter there. So if we can't make it all the way to Rome, let's at least try to get halfway. And then we have a couple ports to pick from. So all the crew and all those that are in authority are like, Hey, Paul, just get on the boat. You're a prisoner. Just sit down, behave, and we know what we're doing. And so that's the journey they took. So here we are in verse 19. And before verse 19 occurs, there was calm, there was fair winds, there was great weather. And from the outward circumstances, it looks like this is, boys, this is a great day to like open up the sails and the spinnaker and let this puppy, let's let it ride on the wind. Verse 19 happens though. On the third day, so something happened on the third day. We threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now they're desperate. They're trying to lighten the load. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up but after long abstinence from food then Paul stood in the midst of them and said men you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss and now I urge you to take heart for there will uh, be no loss of life among yourself but only of the ship Uh, for there stood by me this night an angel of of God to whom I belong and to whom I serve saying do not be afraid Paul You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. Now, to those that 
own the ship and all the cargo on the ship, that was a loss. But what would have been a greater loss is if they, someone would have lost their life. Uh, Paul, knowing and perceiving and identifying the still small voice of God in his life, I think took a place of intercession and began to pray for their journey, knowing he was going to need God's intervention because they were going to face peril and there was going to be loss of the cargo. But thankfully, there was no loss of life. God was merciful and intervened because one man prayed and stood in the gap for the rest of them. So they lost some money and they lost maybe a little bit of their reputation. It hurt their ego, but they were all going to be preserved. I like that Paul said, I perceive that this voyage and this trip isn't going to go the way that you guys think it is. And sometimes when the Lord is speaking to us in that still small voice and we override it with our own reasoning or our experience and we say, no, we'll be okay. We've got a window. It's not too late. I didn't procrastinate. We can still do this. You know, I've still got time. And then things start falling apart and things aren't going the way that we actually hoped or wished that they would. Take heart. Take heart. The Lord is still going to be with you and help you through that. What it's good to do at that time is just acknowledge, Lord, I need to be paying more attention. I need to be more sensitive. I need to be more discerning so that I can identify when you're speaking. Sometimes we're, you know, we're not in a position where we're the ones that could change the order of events. I, where it just happens. Sometimes, you know, we're under somebody else's authority. We're under somebody else's jurisdiction and we try to appeal to them it's still their decision to make but even in the midst of us wanting to give them good counsel or good advice it's not always welcomed received or implemented but in the meantime let's not forget that God still works irregardless of what others do God cares about people he preserved the people and that was quite a shipwreck you can read about it I mean there was 14 days on this journey where they didn't see the sun, the moon, the stars. Uh, they were tossed in for the whole ship was actually obliterated as it reached land. It, it hit the, um, the, uh, the shoreline where all the rocks were. And there they go. It's like the last scene in Jaws where, you know, they're just swimming onto the shore. Sorry, Char, your favorite movie. And, and, uh, and they're just kicking on the paddle on on the debris that's left of, of the boat because they blew the shark up. It's the only way to get rid of them. That's the only way you can kill sharks. You just have to throw, uh, you shoot them with a dart gun or something, and then the whole thing blows up because uh, you throw an oxygen tank in there. And uh, it's it's a great movie. Uh, but uh, but that last scene is like Paul and all of them going uh, to the island. And they went to Malta, and God did a, a wonderful revival there. But that's not uh, necessarily a part of our, our message. Uh, but uh, God's good. God is, is faithful and God is good. He, even if uh, we're not listening or others aren't listening when we're trying to help them or guide them, God is still letting people live another day. And, and through this, this is amazing. If you continue to read it, maybe I can make it a part of the message. This revival that took place at Malta was was the result of some some. Somehow, in some way, through all of this, the captain and the, and the centurion and the helmsman of this particular vessel began to confide in Paul, and he became someone that they respected. And, and through these really adverse circumstances, 
uh, Paul was promoted and able to serve them, share the gospel, and the chief of this island who was very sick ended up being healed, and it was a testimony of God's goodness. And, uh, you know, heaven will tell us the rest of the story as far as how it impacted all the sailors and all those that were on board and the other prisoners. Okay, let's go to Psalms 46, and I'm going to read the entire psalm, and it's a psalm about God being our refuge unto his people and us being aware of his activity. It says, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth is removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. And, and we wish we just said God would help her. Why do you, the break of dawn, why does the 11th hour? God is a, an 11th hour God, though. It's just something that we have to be comfortable with. <laughs> the, the nation's rage and the kingdoms uh, were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolation in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and he cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And we're very familiar with the 10th verse. Be still and know that I am God. And he's asking us to do that. Because he wants us to know that that even though the outward circumstances or the season or situations in life uh, may not look like anything good can come from it by being still, we can identify the still small voice of God and we can understand what he would have us to do. Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do in this situation, in these circumstances? He starts off by reminding us that that we're going to need help. I, I don't know if you've you've understood this uh, to the degree that maybe all of us should, but but in life, in life, we definitely need help. And the Lord said, uh, "I've got that covered. I'm an ever-present help in time of trouble. I, I'm there with you." So uh, this 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 the Psalm starts off saying that you're going to face things that are bigger and stronger and more powerful than your yourself. So what are you going to do? Are you going to try to be big and strong and powerful in that moment? Or are you going to realize that God is there to help you? If God is there to help you, then the first thing we need to do is like humble ourselves, get, get, get still. And that's the last bit of instruction. But he talks about, you know, all the things that could happen that would be overwhelming and that would cause us to understand we need help. And all of these that are stated here are, are real things. And, uh, many times in life when you're going something that's that's real to you, uh, it's more real than God being an ever-present help and God being there with you. Uh, because uh, the enemy has a way of shouting and screaming, and God has a way of just whispering at times. And and life can scream at us, and problems, and, and deadlines, and, uh, and, you know, financial needs, uh, Family needs, just work environment, 
situations, all of that can just, you know, just become such a loud voice that just echoes in our mind. But the instruction is be still and know that I am God. And I want to give you two, two disciplines and, uh, first of all, and two decisions that we need to make in order in that moment when we need help and we're, we're need direction, we need guidance, we need support that, uh, we can sort of posture ourselves to, to hear from the Lord. And they're, they're pretty simple, uh, but they're not automatic because we are people that are set in our ways. We have ruts, whether we like it or not. There's things that we like and the way that we like them. And so the first is we have to reorder our life. And that, that means that you have to do things differently than the way you're doing them now, potentially. You may have some of these disciplines built into your life, but when you're in a time and a season where you need to hear from God and, it, and, and, and you need to understand what he would want and the direction he would have you to go, then if you're going to hear a still small voice, you've got to get quiet. You have, you have to calm yourself down and primarily you have to get your mind to quit racing and quit running. So you've got to, this is like gearing down. You just can't go from fifth gear to first gear. You're just going to lose the transmission. And so you just sort of start gearing down. And this is a discipline and a discipline takes time to develop and implement into our life. But God is patient with us. So to reorder our life, another way to say it is just make sure your priorities are in their proper place. Reorder your life. It also could mean look at how your what what's time management look like for you. What's your time management look like? And then consider that when you're needing to get still. How much activity is going on around you that's noise oriented? How often do we reach for a piece of technology just out of habit, routine, or just become accustomed, or we've become used to it? All right, the second thing, the discipline is you have to make things simpler. And this world is trying to ratchet everything up a little bit, get people more busy, and more spread out. You know, if you're spread too thin, it's just not good. You're not, you're not going to be as healthy and as strong. You're going to be a little like Elijah. You're going to get wore out. You're going to get tired. You're going to get exhausted. And you're going to come to some wrong conclusions like he did. Like, like I'm the only one that's serving God. That, that's what Elijah said before God spoke to him in the still small voice. And said, no, you're not. There's 700 that are still saved that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. But when you're exhausted, when you're spread too thin, when you haven't made your life simpler, you come to, and I come to wrong conclusions like, man, I, I, I'm serving God. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. But it could just be us doing too much. Sometimes less is more. Can I get an amen? And because you can do it better. And when you do things better, then your life is going to be a lot easier and a lot smoother. And there's people that wake up every day and they look at what is in front of them and they just dread it. They make it through it, but they, they don't really like it. So the, uh, the uh, second decision is, right, to be still. Just, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to intentionally just start ratcheting down, gearing down. And the discipline is solitude. And solitude is something that you have to be comfortable with. Oh, just you, just you and the Lord. And it might start off with five to seven minutes and then just grow from there. But 
you know, good things come from small beginnings. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Take the five to seven minutes and then just watch how it will increase and that how you'll enjoy that time. So just find a place. Jesus called it. When you go into your closet and pray, shut the door. That's solitude. And then converse with your father in that environment. That's the most respectful way, isn't it? So sometimes prayer in, in our culture, in, in our time, uh, can be interrupted through uh, the phone ringing or uh, the kids, you know, needing your attention or a spouse needing some help. And you just have to, you know, find a place and sort of communicate to everybody, hey, for the next half hour, I'm unavailable. Just don't contact me. Don't call me. Don't take any technology with you. Just you and God enter into a place of solitude and become more and more comfortable with that. The half hour may seem like three days at first, like, oh, all right, five minutes. And you may have prayed for everything and everyone and all the missionaries you know and asked God to bless all the children around the world, and then you're like, seven minutes. Wow, what am I going to do for 23 minutes? Oh, yeah, Uh, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And the Lord's saying, would you just not talk? Would you just be still? Would you just not clap? Would you just not run? Would you just not shout? Would you just sit down? Well, this is the day and I'm going to rejoice. Yeah. And the Lord says, hey, I don't need you to rejoice right now. Just need you to whoo, settle down. And so you'll you'll find some funny things that you do just because you're not comfortable with silence. Just like I'm not comfortable with it at times. But you got to have that place and you got to give God his time. It's the most respectful thing you can do uh, is pay attention and let him talk. And if he chooses just to sit there with you in silence, it doesn't mean that it's not beneficial. Because you're going to know and become more comfortable with him in that moment, in that time. Some of you will give you an opportunity to do this when you travel. You travel and you go from A to B in your vehicle. Well, that's a great place to just shut down anything and everything and just drive down the road in silence. And just commit that time. God, I'm just committing this time and this this road time. You and God on a road trip. It sounds like a better road trip than you and, and Willie Nelson. You know, on the road again with God. And then just, there you go. So, being still. So, I want to uh, remind you that there's two enemies we have to overcome in order to really experience the still small voice of God. And I've mentioned them both but I want to identify them specifically now. One is complacency. And I use, I use this as, as uh, that we just are people that, you know, like things the way that we like them. We have certain routines and patterns in our life. And, and if anything upends that pattern or that routine, we look at it as it's an inconvenience. And we can't, we can't allow our mind to do that when it comes to the things of the Lord. It's never an inconvenience. It's something that we have to understand. Complacency is not our ally or our friend when it comes to being still like, yeah, yeah, I know that, or yeah, yeah, I'm aware of that. And we have to be careful along those lines. The second is is something that's just as harmful, and that is just comparing ourselves. And because we don't compare ourselves up, we always compare ourselves with someone that we're better than. So just avoid that because that's just not wise. If we're going to compare ourselves to anything, let's just compare ourselves to be 
becoming more like Jesus and just allowing him to become our all in all. So simplicity produces contentment and solitude produces courage. You say, well, how do you come to the conclusion that solitude produces courage? Because when we're consistent with this, it's not just when we're in trouble, but it's before trouble comes. And then trouble comes and we're like, I've been, I've been with the Lord. Like Paul, we're going to be okay. The Lord stood with me and he told me. Well, Paul had been spending time with the Lord, apparently. And he was aware that God was speaking, even though it was just a storm and the ship was falling apart and they'd thrown all the cargo out. He could still hear God. He could still hear the Lord. And I want to encourage you, you can still hear the Lord if you'll, if you'll purpose to put him in his proper place and then to posture yourself accordingly. You'll be able to hear and recognize and identify the still small voice of God. I'm going to close with this. People have asked, I've had a couple inquiries. They weren't complaining, but they just wanted to know why I was spending the amount of time on how to hear from God or how God speaks. And there's two reasons why. One is stranger danger. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and the voice of a stranger they don't follow. We live in a time and a season where there's stranger danger. Well, what do you mean by stranger danger? False prophets, false teachers, counterfeit ministries. And if we don't learn to identify when God is speaking to us, we become dependent on other people speaking to us. And they're like, they said that, and they said that, and they said that, and they said that. And I just want to remind you, but what did God say to you? What did God say to you? And once again, prayer and the Bible are always understood as our foundation and fundamentally part of this whole process. So we're in the Bible. We're praying. But the primary reason is because I've seen a lot of sheep led astray. And the enemy can disguise himself in such a way, uh, right? A wolf in sheep's clothing, an angel of light, a false minister or messenger, and false signs and wonders. And people, the next thing you know, they're just off course. They just get off the path. So it's important that we recognize that God wants to speak to us. God is speaking to us, but we have to know how is he speaking to us. Because he does. So one is stranger danger. The the second one is because I want you to know the voice of the good shepherd. I want you to have that assurance. That no, that's Jesus. That's truth. That's light. Because that brings peace to you. I want you to know the truth. I want you to be able to ascertain and have discernment between that which is false and that which is true. So that's why we're taking some time to talk about how God speaks to us because he is speaking, sometimes in new ways, and he wants to reveal himself unto us. And we just have to be sensitive and still and quiet and know that he is God. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 
828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.